Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. We're also grateful to those of you who offer member support, for which I'm pleased to offer in return member-only content curated with our authors and myself. You can find out more about this member-only content and how you can help authors give voice to their written words at charlottereaderspodcast.com. When Landis is not getting under the cover at bookstores, at events, and on the road, he does it in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. But enough with the prologue. Let's get under the covers. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, I'm here at uh, Bookmarks in uh, Winston-Salem, a Bookmarks bookstore with uh, Michael Crowley. He's the author of Any Other Place. It's a collection of compelling, character-driven short stories. Those are my words. They're not on the cover, but that's the way I saw them. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having yeah, me on. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit about you before we get started with the book here. Um, it says in your bio that you're born in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Right? That's correct. So where, what foothill? Uh, <laughs> I grew up in Corbin, Kentucky, which yeah. is about an hour and a half between yeah. Lexington, Kentucky, and Knoxville, Tennessee on I-75. Okay, all right. And yeah. uh, Corbin has the distinction of being home to the first Kentucky Fried Chicken. So, uh, Is it still there? It's yeah. still there. They turned it into a museum. <laughs> a museum. A, is that where they had the secret the recipe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they did. There's a funny anecdote from my <laughs> church. Uh, yeah. When I was growing up, a lady in my church, she lived next door to Colonel Sanders. And then years later... Uh, before they tore down his house, she walked through it and she found she found all the spices in the recipe, but not the quantities. So for years, she like tinkered with different quantities oh of trying gosh. to do this. Little reverse she, engineering. And yeah. she yeah, and she came to the church and <laughs> gave a piece of chicken to a friend of mine. He goes, yeah, it's Kentucky Fried Chicken, and she goes, I got it, and snapped yeah. her fingers, you know. Yeah, that's so crazy. yeah, so you find the recipes, but you just don't know how to put them all together. That's right. Or, yeah. or ingredients, but you don't know how to put them in the, in that's the recipe. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So does being from that part of the country, does it inform your writing, Michael? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the stories are set in a, a fictional town called Fordyce, Kentucky, which is really just a stand-in for not really just Corbin, but kind of that whole area. And part of the reason I came up with that fictional world was there were things in neighboring towns I wanted to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I said they were in Corbin in a piece of fiction, they wouldn't fly. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. Right, yeah. so, I, so I ended up sort of making this this composite town, really, mm. based off of several other towns around where I grew uh, up. How big is the fictional town? <clears throat> It'd be the same as Corbin, so probably about mm. 7,500 residents. Okay. Uh, right. So I don't know if you're familiar, my college roommate uh, was from a little town called Mount Sterling, Kentucky. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I got to see him and his wife every now and then, so a uh, shout-out to them. But uh, <laughs> uh, he used to talk about something called Court Day. Have you, You've heard of Court Day, I guess? I don't uh, know what that is, actually. Okay, actually, it was when, every, you know, back a while ago, 
it's when uh, the officials, you know, the, the judge came to town, right? Oh, so, yeah, and, yeah. and when the judge came to town, all the vendors came to town, right? Because, you know, there was lots going on in the courthouse. Right, sure. so everybody set up around the courthouse. So right. it became a, a court day. Anyway, all right, so you're the recipient of uh, NEA Fellowship in Literature 2016. Your stories and essays have appeared in Narrative, Catapult, Blackbird, Kenyon Review Online, Virginia Quarterly Review, The Parish Review Daily, and elsewhere, uh, now you got a book. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's been a ride toward putting this book together, sort of. Yeah, it took a long time. I mean, I have an essay about this at LidHub, um, which is just about how long it took me to publish a book. I was 41 when this book came out, and I think when I was in graduate school years ago, people thought it would have happened a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you, Why do you think it took you longer? Well, I had, you know, I had some, I had a bad luck with some, with an agent mm-hmm. and a, and a mm-hmm. novel I wrote and we couldn't sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was part of it. I think a lot of it was I got, I think a lot of it was I got, I put the business of publishing ahead of the art and I think yeah. I got, I was, it was eager, over eager and anxious mm-hmm. and I just had to learn that the art comes first, um, which I kind of always knew, but kind of didn't. Part of it was I wanted to get on with things and was trying to do the academic career path, which I'm in, but I was trying to find myself in more permanent uh situation so i think i i think it took longer because i just i got a little ahead of myself and had yeah. to slow down we're going to talk about uh, your writing life in a little bit i'll get back into that but beforehand let's uh you teach creative writing now at denison university yeah, right right it's in ohio liberal arts college right mm-hmm. around 2100 students that's right a little bit like where i went to school at davidson right that's yeah, right yeah. yeah you guys fact, are a little bit better than us but yeah. uh <laughs> well yeah we're catching it, on you it's a it's a beautiful campus i looked online at the pictures yeah right. it must be a great place to teach writing and write writing right? yeah we have great students uh the school has gotten more academically rigorous in the eight years i've been there mm-hmm. and uh and we have good students they come from all over we don't I mean, we get some students from Ohio, but most of our students come from outside the state of Ohio, which is mm-hmm. a little surprising to some people. And um, yeah, it's a great place to work, great opportunities. We have a great reading series. We're very fortunate to be funded uh, well from an endowment that allows us to bring in great people, and it's mm-hmm. great exposure for our students. And uh, you know, I couldn't have I couldn't have found probably a better situation than what I have right now. And how many different courses do you teach? I mostly teach uh, introductory creative writing and upper-level fiction, but uh, mm-hmm. this semester I'm teaching nonfiction for the first time, which is great. I had, it's the first chance I've had to teach it there. And mm-hmm. then uh, next fall I'll teach a, a class in sports writing, which I'm kind of excited okay. about just okay. to do some literary sports writing. Yeah, I saw on your website you got you actually got a, a menu tab for sports writing. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. You've written, written a number of sports essays right. and that kind of thing. All right, so we'll get back to your writing life in a minute, but let's talk about the book for a second. Uh, you ready to get under the covers? Sure, yeah. Right. We'll be right back. In the meantime, do you love to read? You might want to check out what's new at Warren Publishing, our episode sponsor today. Warren Publishing is a premier hybrid publisher since 1988 right here in the Charlotte community. They offer books for every reader. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, or at their website, warrenpublishing.net, to learn more about new titles, book events, and author workshops. Warren Publishing, books done wisely. If you like our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, please consider leaving a short written review about Charlotte Reader's podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you leave a review, it helps authors reach more listeners. You can keep up with news about the show and member-only content for our member supporters by joining our email list. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join the list, 
we will give you a free ebook written by me. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Any other place, that's your title. Why, why that title? Because <laughs> uh, that's what my editor told me it was going to be. Um, and, and you said, well, since you're publishing, right, I can publish right, this book, right. yeah, yeah. It comes from a, it comes from a line in the first story, Slope, and um, where he says it's like any other place. The main character says that it's like any other place. He doesn't know what makes it special compared to some other place. Mm. And I think that we felt like that um, it fit the themes of the book, because I think the theme of the book really is about how place shapes us and mm-hmm. defines us and how we try to break free of the confinements of mm-hmm. a place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you often you can't. These places go with you. I mean, I was someone in my early 20s. I thought if I just moved, I could escape my troubles, but your troubles mm-hmm. travel, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I think I grew up in a place that really shaped me and really still defines me in many ways today. And part of some of the stories in the book and some of the nonfiction I've written sort of really Really, sort of talk about how I know I'll not go back to that Mm -hmm. place, and it's Mm -hmm. a weird feeling to feel untethered from a place that has been so uh, integral and important to you, but to also know like you've you've kind of cut free of it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the characters are dealing with that, and and the stories they're dealing with being uh, put into boxes based off of of mostly this fictional town of Fordyce or or a region or a country, even in some instances, and how. They want to be more than that, but um, in a way, in a way they can't be. Yeah, well, I read the the first story in the book, uh, Slope, uh, which you're going to read from on the show today, and I was thinking about the connection between that and the title, and sort of this is just me talking, but I thought from that story the characters were at a distance, you know, geographically, but perhaps if they were together, you know. In any other place, it might work, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. Yeah, I think yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. part of what's going on there. I yeah. think they, it, yeah, timing. Timing. <laughs> you, if you put geography, timing to, a boyfriend for her. That kind right. Of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on there. But yeah, yeah. I think that mm-hmm. if they were in a different place, they could they could figure that out. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the, it's kind of a nondescript cover, right? I mean, you got it, there's there, well, there, you almost like a shading of mountains in the background, maybe, and and darkness. And, yeah. And then the script across just any other place, and uh, because it could be any other place, right? I think yeah. so. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So this is your debut collection. This is great. Um, talk to us about the first story that you're going to read uh, for us, and uh, then I'll have you read a little section of that. Yeah, Slope is uh, follows a, a character by the name of Ren Asher who shows up again later in in another story. And uh, he is, uh, like me, he is half Korean and has grown up in this small southeastern Kentucky town of Fordyce. And uh, he's, he's in trouble. He's fallen in love with this woman, and it's, uh, it's ill-fated, and he knows that from the beginning, and mm-hmm. he still goes forward with it. So the story is really kind of about, it is ostensibly, I guess, it's about this, this heartbreak he's got going on, but it's really about him understanding that maybe the reason he thrust himself into this is that he looked at his own parents' story as a template for uh, potential happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, his mother is Korean and has married her, his, his father, who is from Appalachia, much like my own life. Mm-hmm. And um, there's an anecdote, there's a, there's a little snippet in the book where the mother says to the son, well, 
where is this girl from? And he says, Paris. And she says, Kentucky? And he's like, no, Mom, the, the real Paris, which is what happened to me. I, My I mom la- actually said that to me. I laughed at that when I saw because I knew about there being right. a Paris, Kentucky. You know? Yeah, and so that happened to me. My mom— It's like I, Rome. She's from Rome. Where, Rome, Georgia? Right, yeah. exactly. And so— uh, yeah. So my mom said that to me. She goes, well, you don't know. I mean, it worked out for your dad and me. And it made me think and wonder if that was why, because uh, this is the most autobiographical story in the book. It made me wonder if that was why I had, um, if why, that was why I'd got into this sort of bad mm-hmm. relationship with this woman. And then, um, and then I fictionalized it rather than write an essay because I didn't think a story of heartbreak was all that interesting. And I wanted to find a way to, uh, not fictionalize it to protect myself as much as just to. Sometimes it's easier to get the truth if you don't go at the truth, which does, sounds kind of crazy, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. But but if you can fictionalize the world, you can cause different causal elements to sort of uh, get at what's motivating that character. Mm. All right, well, if you would, please, uh, how about reading from the beginning of the story, Slope, for us? Absolutely. Slope. Ren Asher is nearing 30, and over the summer, like his father before him, He's fallen in love with a woman who lives in another country. But that's where all similarities end. For one, Hannah is an American who grew up outside Boston and now lives in Paris. And second, she lives with a boyfriend, a man for whom she moved to France. Wren knew from the beginning getting mixed up with her was a bad idea. And when they parted in August, he thought whatever he felt for her would fade. But since her return to Paris, she calls him every night at two in the morning because of the six hour time difference. She waits until the boyfriend is gone for work and before she goes to the high school where she teaches English, she dials Wren. He likes to be wakened by her voice and sleeps with the cell phone beside the bed so that before he answers, he sees the picture he snapped of her in the metro in DC. It wasn't strange, she asks one night. What, he says, growing up there. Of course it is now, but not then. It was just my childhood, and it was as happy as most, I think. Happier, probably. Her boyfriend is Algerian. She hasn't told Wren much about him, and he hasn't asked. One night she told him, I'm drawn to people with backgrounds different from mine. Now, she says, but you have so many stories about how backward it is there. It is, and it isn't, he says, feeling the need to defend his hometown against the stereotypes about Kentucky. My best friend's parents were the sons of doctors and lawyers, insurance salesmen. I don't know anybody whose father worked in a coal mine, but plenty of them worked at the railroad. It was suburban more than anything else, I guess. I just got a cool accent in the breakdown, too, he tells her. But there's more to it than that, because he knows that while Fordyce is a town and not the country, it's not by any stretch cosmopolitan or refined. Hannah sighs through whatever wires or towers make calls possible anymore, Frustrated, it seems, by his answer. He knows she's in bed, too, and he tries to imagine the room she's in, her black skirt and silk blouse across the back of a chair, the indentation of her boyfriend's head on the pillow beside her. Sometimes, she says, I think you and I are more different culturally than I am with him. She never says his name, though Wren knows it's Henri. On Facebook, Wren has seen the pictures of them in and around Paris, and vacationing at Saint-Tropez. The two of them look happy, with the city lights or the blue of the Mediterranean at their backs. And when he thinks about the possibility of a future with Hannah, he thinks he'll never compare with the images on the computer screen. In a race between his love and France, France will win.
Okay, right off the bat, a little bit of heartache going on here for this guy. Yeah. You're kind of <laughs> pulling for him. I mean, he seems very genuine. He's in love, but he's up against uh, the obstacles of uh, distance uh, and someone else who's gotten there first, right? Yeah, that's and, right, yeah. And, and then, but interesting thing I found about you, you know, and this is in writing short pieces, you move from this to you move to a relationship between the character and his mother. Right. And that's sort of an interesting relationship because you have a scene where she gets up upset with somebody that's staring at her in the mm-hmm. grocery store because sure. of her facial features because mm-hmm. she's, you said, half Korean. She's Korean. She's yeah. Korean, right. right, right. And so she's put up with this her, through her life in, in rural Kentucky, right? And that's so, correct. And so she sort of understands what her son is going through, but she tries to guide him, but he's not sure he's ready to listen. Right. But then later in the book, she kind in the story, she kind of, I think, sort of understands him. Right. And yet he's not sure when she's gone, whether well, there's any reason ever to come back to this right. place, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's really what the the story became about. It was less about the relationship falling apart than about Ren understanding that, um, you know, his parents have given him this life and have given him everything, and he loves him dearly, and he understands what his mother is going through in the sense of she feels untethered from Korea, mm. but she doesn't really feel feel american either she doesn't feel attached to to america right. she doesn't fit in because she's never fit in where they live mm. and he understands that he understands that he's starting to understand that in a way he's never fit in where they live either because of his ethnic makeup and mm-hmm. he understand and what's heartbreaking for him really at the end of the story is to understand that he loves her and he loves this place and he loves what it has been for him but he's not going to have it his whole life all right so you got Thirteen stories in the book. Yeah. Right? So you're not a superstitious guy, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> why not twelve? Why not fourteen? We didn't skip the thirteenth floor. Uh, no, no yeah. I don't know. I just uh-huh. they were the ones I had, and yeah. it was the way the manuscript came together. Yeah. And I didn't. I mean, we thought about maybe cutting one, and I thought about adding one, and yeah. but I think the the themes of this of the stories really kind of coalesced mm. in a good way, and in a way that was made it a, a good collection. So you got different kind of themes here. You got stories of uh, love and love loss, stories of grief, stories of exile, stories of devotion, mm-hmm. perhaps redemption, these sure. different things you're hitting here. And uh, the settings, um, are, are there a variety of settings or is it pretty much this town? That... Fordyce is probably where most of the stories are set, but the second story is a story that's actually set in Korea. Okay. There's a story in rural, there's two stories in rural Ohio, actually, okay. which right. is kind of, you know, based off of close to where I live now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of them are right there around southeastern Kentucky. All right, just a little bit about the writing life segment here. Uh, you say you fell in love, um, you know, being a writer at uh, sort of age 20. Mm-hmm. Um, you read the work, uh, this is on your website, of Raymond Carver. You said you found out everything you could about him, and then you came across a passage of his which he wrote in the introduction to Best American Short Stories, 1984, and it sort of became this, uh, let's cut this out and stick it on my wall uh, yeah. kind of thing to guide me sure. through. Because um, some interesting things about that uh, piece, uh, you know, he says there's always plenty of reasons, good compelling reasons to quit, right, for not writing. But once in a great while, lightning will strike. Uh-huh. <laughs> is that is that sort of how you've gone through your, your writing life? <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely gone through moments where I wanted to quit a lot. And I think, I think, you know, I really don't, I think no matter who you look at, who you admire as a reader, if you look at that writer, they've, they've faced a lot of rejection one way or another. I mean, 
Um, uh, rejection is a part of being a writer. Yeah, yeah it's it's. Uh, you probably it, have to talk to your students about this, right? Yeah, it comes early <laughs> and it comes often, yeah. and I think. It doesn't really matter who you, I mean, I have lots of stories of friends who are wildly successful and that success that they had came on the hills of great disappointment and failure. And I think even when you achieve, and then if you think about someone who's wildly successful, that comes with its own sort of rejection, right? Like Yeah, uh, because then you got to write the next one, right? That's right. There's <laughs> part of that. There's the going into the room by yourself is part of it too. Yeah. It can be, can but, be daunting. But he kind of riffs on it a little bit. He says, you know, it may... Hit the man, this success may hit the man or woman who's your friend. It may hit the one who drank too much. It may hit the dunce who sat in the back of the class. And you know the person you thought in your wildest imagination would never amount to anything is right. now a famous, successful writer. Sure. Uh, but he says, and I think this is something I, I resonated with too. None of success, however you define success as a writer, will happen unless you sit down and write. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it always it always come to. I mean, I was really fortunate to meet the writer Larry Brown in my early twenties, and uh, it was the end of a long day, and I'd been at a at a book event with a friend of mine who had a book out, Silas House, who's a great writer, and he and Silas had become friends, and I went up to Larry, and I we were going to bed, and I was like, hey, I just wanted to tell you, I really admire your work, and Father and Son was as a really you know as a book it really meant a lot to me, and and he looked me right in the eye. And, he said, he goes, good luck to you, too. And he said, remember, no matter how many books you sell, no matter how successful you are, it always comes down to you in a room doing the work. Mm. And it wasn't that I didn't know that necessarily, but there was something about the way he said it and maybe the setting and the time of night. It really, I always remembered that. It really struck It really struck me and kind of shook me up a little bit, too, just because, um, you know, everyone dreams. I don't. I think Nick Hornby has an essay about this too. Like everybody kind of dreams of being famous when they when mm. they go into this. I mean, if they tell you they don't, I, I think they're lying to you. Everybody wants <laughs> people to read what they write. So That's right. You don't. You're not, do, right. You're not doing it to write in a vacuum. Yeah, so you want journal. lots of yeah. readers, right? Yeah. yeah. And and I think, but that was a good thing to remember. Is like it, it. At the end of the day, it's you in a room doing that work, and you have to do this work alone. And mm. I do think you know. I think writers we do talk it up a lot about how lonely the life is, and I think we overstate that sometimes, but it is lonely work sometimes, especially when you're facing that page and you feel like everything you're putting down is not really working. You know? but, do, but do you do you get something out of that experience, whether you ever publish it or not sometimes? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, yeah. you have to learn, you know, this is something Lee Smith talks about a lot too, but you have to learn to love writing and not yeah. love publishing because they're not the same thing. And that's, that's part true. of what I was talking about earlier yeah. about, you know, the long time it took me to publish a book. Like, I do. I love writing. Publishing is a different story. It's, mm. And they're, they're two different animals. And, and young writers don't understand that. You know, they think that they're the same thing, and, and they're not. There's, that's why you have to do the best you can do and, and love the creative process and the art mm. of it and, and try to put the business stuff out of your mind until it's time to, time to put it in your mind, really. So you, and we don't have much time left. I could sit here and talk with you. Mm -hmm. This is really interesting. We get a philosophical discussion of writing here. But <laughs> you, you said on your website that you're a frustrated and slow writer. Every so often, the match flame blooms on first strike, and I believe I can build a fire. So are you proud of the fire that you've built with this book? Any other place? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel good about it. I mean, I think uh, a lot of these stories, I mean, these are a lot of stories over a lot of years, but mm -hmm. I feel like... Some of the stories I'm really proud of are the ones that are, are a little more recent. Uh, Satellites is a story I, I feel really good about. It's the mm -hmm. last story in the book. And Larger Than the Sea is a 
you know, that's kind of a story I needed to write. That was, um, that's about this couple in Korea during the occupation, mm-hmm. um, the Japanese occupation of Korea. And, um, that was a real wayfaring story. It was a tough story for me to write, like very far away from my sort of immediate sense of place and psychic knowledge, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel good about the book. I think it's, uh, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised by the way it's been received and, and the places yeah, that have great. reviewed it. So it's Well, I'm good. looking forward to reading the other stories, Slope. I, I really enjoyed that story. Um, you know, short stories, and you do a good job with this, is sometimes you think, okay, there should be a beginning, a middle, and an end, but sometimes the end can be a beginning of its own and right, not yeah. necessarily sure. as satisfactory as you might like, but it actually is satisfactory in a different kind of way. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is what yeah. you want in a short story is you want that character to understand something about the world they didn't yeah. know before they entered that day, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And once you know that as a writer, that's when you pull the ripcord and you get out. All right, good. Well, hey, uh, listen, Michael, thanks so much for sharing your time and being on the podcast. And, uh, Listeners, you'll find more out about uh, Michael and his book in the show notes, uh, some images and so forth. Uh, So, uh, hey, Michael, thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Landis. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written work. Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long-form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions? You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.